Hi, family. Tell me how you're doing. Tell me how you Is this not the greatest time of the year? I mean, summer is here. It's hot. It's wonderful. This is uh, it's a time to play a doubleheader somewhere. Yeah. I made that up. Let me tell you how much I love you and how much I enjoy being a part of this church and how much I thank you for, for holding in there with us. We'll announce, make some announcements to you uh, tonight about what's going on. Um, uh, I'll leave that to Dan and Fred, but I just wanted to tell you I love you and I want to tell you how much I am so proud to be a part of this church with you. Some of you remember last week we prayed for, uh, for John, where is he at, and Liliana. And uh, the good news is, John, tell us, what, what is the good news? The cancer is out, and it didn't spread anywhere. And he said, you know, you said when you, when you saw the scan of it, it really looked kind of treacherous, didn't it? Yeah. And, and thought that perhaps it had spread, but by the grace of God, it didn't. So Liliana's fine. He's, he said she wanted to come to church tonight, but she didn't want to sit through the whole uh, my message. You know, so, <laughs> so, I mean, she could only take so much, you know. Anyways, it is so good to see all of you. Thank you for being here. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans? And by the way, Bill, I know how much you rejoice in, uh, in Dolores, how much you rejoice in Liliana doing well. And thank you for being so faithful and sending us messages to keep us up, up, up to date and everything. I love you, my brother, so much. Romans chapter 1. What did we find out so far? Let's, let's think this through. Let's, uh, let's think with, with this wonderful, wonderful man who has written this wonderful, wonderful epistle, this letter. He starts off by telling everybody very proudly he is a bondservant. Remember? Verse 1, chapter 1, bondservant. Then he says, I've been called. Called as an apostle and set apart, he says also, for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to tell us in verses 2, 3, and 4, and 5, just who is this one that he is representing, this one that he was, was set apart for, called to be an apostle. And he said that he was the one that was promised beforehand. Remember in verse 2, and he was the one that was a descendant of David, born according to the flesh, he said. And then he also said he was declared in verse 4, the Son of God, by the power and through the power of the resurrection. I mean, gosh, I mean, Easter, that would have been a great Easter Sunday message. That in and of itself talks about who Jesus Christ is. And we, we saw a lot of him in the last book that we studied through, the book of Revelation. We saw his majesty. We saw his power. And it is nothing to be scoffed at. It is, it is an amazing and, and and, and terrible thing to stand up to the very essence of, the, of this one God that, that we know and we love and we worship and we, we come to, to gather together and sing praises to His name and, and to just glorify Him. And, 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 and He is the one that Paul says, I represent as a bondservant. Well, today He's going to tell us a little bit more. But then He said, remember last, last couple of weeks, He said in verse 6, I'm not the only one called here. Remember? You too are called. You too, he says in verses 6 and 7. You are also among the called of Jesus Christ. You are also called as a saint, he says in verse 7. And then he wanted to pray for us. But he wanted to let them know how he longed to be with them, and he couldn't get there yet. He longed to come into Rome. 
And as you're going to learn with me tonight, he, it was not an easy trip for him to go to Rome. It, it, was, a, it was a major deal. Rome did not want a, a, someone like Paul in their midst, and they would have done him harm. But he knew that. But he was willing to go anyways. And so he says, I've been praying for you, in verse 9, unceasingly, I, without stopping, I just pray for you. We made mention of that last week, of how we can pray without ceasing, how we can make prayer just a, a way of life. And he says in verse 11, I, I long to see you. Can you sense the heart of Paul at all? I want you to. I want you to fall as deeply in love with this, this man as, as I, I have. He's, he's just, he's um, um, beyond amazing. Read with me verses 11 to verse 17. In these verses, you're going to see in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17 the very crux of why he wants to explain who he is and who Jesus Christ is and what is his burden amongst the believers. Is this, these four verses, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, are, are absolutely amazing. They are, I, what I call, is the, the title of this is Paul's Three Great I Am's. He says, I am under obligation. I am eager to preach, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Verse 11, I long to see you in order that I might impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and I have been prevented thus far, in order that I might obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Verse 14. I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, for my part... I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in it, meaning the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. Father God, help us to understand that whole crux of what Paul is trying to, to, to share and to, to, to express to the family of God how much he loves us, how he exposes himself, saying he's under obligation, he's eager, he's, he's not ashamed of what he is about to, to share with them. And Father, may we be the same. May we be under obligation. May we be eager. May we not be ashamed. Please bless us, Father God. Would you please empty me of myself? I, by that I say, Father, would you move me aside so that I might not hinder what you want to say to us this evening, this beautiful, beautiful Southern California evening. Would you please bless us? Open up our eyes, Father, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And each of us, Father God, will, will just worship you and give you thanks for who you are. It's our joy to know you, to walk with you, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. 
I have a few things that I carry purposely in my, uh, one is my ring, my dad's ring, really. When my father died, I, uh, I asked mom if, well, actually she wasn't there at the time, but I, I shoved his ring on my finger. It was way too small, but I got it on somehow, some way. I had to cut it off, and then I got it resized. Now it fits. Um, I wear it all the time to remind me of my dad. Well, I told you last week my brother-in-law was, had a heart attack, but he was doing, it looked like he was doing better. Well, that very night, Saturday night, actually early Sunday morning, he passed away. Just, um, it just his heart just kind of just, just fell open. It just, they couldn't do anything with him. And when I went there to be with my sister uh, and the family all day uh, Sunday, the only thing I wanted of Daryl's was his handkerchief, one of them so that I could uh, remember him, so that I could uh, have memories. Do you have things like this in your life? I do. I uh, carry things that remind me of people who I love and and I care for. I even marked it on the side. I put a a marker on it so that I know when when Kay washes it, it, uh, which one was Daryl's, so I could keep that. So... So, let's take a look at this wonderful book, this wonderful chapter, this few verses. Paul comes to the very core of his faith, very core of his message, really. It it is here that he presents, when in doubt, turn back and and look at chapter 1, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. But it is here that Paul expresses the three great I am's of his faith. I'm under obligation, he says. I am eager to preach to you, he says. So far, I get it. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. Because he says it's the power of God for salvation to every single one who believes. What a man of God. He said in verses 11 and 12, as we just read a little while ago, that he longs to be with them so as to pass along some spiritual gift to them so that they may be established. That means mature, grown. So they might grow in their faith. That is, he says, so that I might encourage you and you might encourage me. Together, both of us, by each other's faith, both of us encouraging each other. And that's what the family of God is all about. That's it. In a nutshell, that's it. You do what you do. Our family is, is in a, such a, 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 a way that, that you and I have different things that God has so gifted us. And, and we've established, hopefully, what, what it is in your life and what it is in my life and, and each of us so that we might encourage one another, so that we might help each other grow to maturity, so that we would become the people that God has asked us to become. Established so that you might encourage me, and by the grace of God, I might encourage you. That's it. In a nutshell, that's the family. That's what we are as a group of believers. And so Paul says three things in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. He says, I have a burden, a burden for you. Verse 14, I am under obligation. I am burdened to to be obligated to you. And also, he says in verse 15, I, I have a boldness in my walk. I, I am eager to preach the gospel. 
He said later, woe, woe to me, he says, if I don't preach the gospel. He is compelled to do that. And then he noted that he has a belief system that goes beyond anything because he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power for salvation to every single person who believes. Let's take a look at those three I am's first. In verse 14, Paul lets us look at his burden. Paul says, I am under obligation. He starts off by saying in verse 1, I am a bondservant of the Lord. I've been called as an apostle. I'm set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm under obligation, he says, both to the Greek as well as to the barbarians, both to the wise as well as to the foolish. In other words, Paul is under obligation to every single person he comes in contact with. What's his obligation? What's his burden? I thought about something when I was writing all of this. I thought about how every sincere Christian knows that there are times in ministry that the rewards are are beyond amazing. The blessings are beyond amazing. When study and preparation and teaching and shepherding and serving and, and doing whatever it is that you've been called to do is exhilarating. It's exciting. But also there are times in our walk with Jesus Christ when when the ministry doesn't seem so attractive. And yet, we still study, yet we still prepare, we still teach, we still shepherd, we still serve, we still do what God's called us to do because we are under obligation to our God and also to those we are serving. And so each of us are to encourage one another by our faith. You as well as me. It is an unfaithful servant who only serves when they feel like it. Therefore, it made no difference to Paul whatsoever who the people were or or his circumstances. I mean, most of this he he wrote in jail. It could be a runaway slave like Onesimus, or, or it could be royal, royalty like, the, like King Agrippa. It didn't matter to Paul. He was going to share with whomever he could share with. And, and in your case, it, it ought not matter where you serve. It ought not matter just that you can serve, that you do serve in your area of giftedness. It mattered not to Paul. He was all in all the time. Who was his mentor? Of course, it was the same mentor that you and I have, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, you don't need to look at it now, the story of Jesus when he went into Samaria, he had to go through there, and as he, he, he was exhausted, and he was thirsty, and, and, the, and, and the disciples who were with him went in to get something to eat into the city. And he stayed back. And it was there that Jesus Christ, for the very first time, time revealed himself as the Messiah when he was exhausted, thirsty to this this Samaritan woman. Who was she? She was an adulterous woman. She had a number of husbands. The one that she was with now wasn't even her own husband. Being that she was a Samaritan, she was a member of the race that was greatly despised by the Jews. 
And yet Jesus Christ himself drew himself to her, shared who he was as the Messiah to her. And with loving compassion, he used this dear woman to bring many of her fellow Samaritans to faith. You see, our Lord's obligation, our Lord's burden for others was the example for Paul, as is for us. Paul would share Jesus Christ with all men at all time. And why? It was his obligation. It was his burden. It was his passion. He was a bond servant of his Lord. And so he was going to be used in any fashion that he might. And so I asked myself and you a question, do you have that burden? Do you sense in your heart an obligation, a passion to serve the Lord? Better question, better question though. Where is your burden? Where, where is your obligation, your passion? We all have a burden. We all have obligations. We all have passions. Is it all things Christ or is it all things you? Or is it some things Christ, sometimes Christ? Sometimes you, most of the times you. It's going to be my desire, as it has been for all of these years, to help light a fire in your belly. It is going to be my desire for you to sense a burden, an obligation, a passion deep within your Christian walk to serve Jesus Christ, whatever capacity that God has called you to that you and I might be under obligation to Him for the rest of our living days. It's my burden. It's my passion. It's my obligation. Paul's second I am is found in verse 15. He was very eager. Paul's second I am showed his boldness for he says, my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. In verse 14, Paul says, I'm burdened, I'm obligated. But here he says, I am, I am bold, I am eager to do what God's called me to do, regardless of whatever circumstance I find myself. Paul was determined to preach the gospel, even though, even though he knew he was in great danger. It wasn't the best of times for him. This did not stop his obligation to serve nor his eagerness to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, Paul simply says these words. They're penetrating. Acts chapter 20, verses 20 to 27. Paul says, I, verse 20, I did not shirk, shrink. I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from, from house to house. I solemnly testified to both Jews as well as Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That was his calling to teach the word. And now he says, behold, I, I am bound in spirit and I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit has solemnly testified to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. It's not going to be easy on them. But he says in verse 24, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I might finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So now, behold, he says, 
He says, I, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. He, he knew he was going to go and he wasn't going to be able to return. Therefore, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, he did what he was called to do. The results, all of what else was going to happen, that was up to God. He just was faithful. He was under obligation and he was eager to do what he had to do. For I did not shriek away, he says, from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. In his spirit, Paul was compelled. He was eager to go because he knew that was God's will for him. And he knew this, what he wrote and he penned in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, he says, but to die is what? Absolutely. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He knew that. We need to remind ourselves of that from time to time. Paul knew that Rome was going to be a volatile place for him. He knew that. He knew that the Christians in Rome had experienced persecution up to that time. He knew that they were that, that city was steeped in immorality and pagan worship. He knew that. He knew that most Romans would despise him. He knew that. He knew that most of them there would want to do him harm. He knew that. But he went nonetheless. He was boldly eager to go there for his Lord and for the people. Life had but one purpose for Paul. And that was to do the Lord's work. He was consumed by an eager desire to serve the Lord. We need that kind of faith today. Some people say, you know, John, you're a little bit too hardcore. You know, I mean, back off just a little. I mean... We all have a living to make. We're, you know, we're not called to ministry full-time like you. And I say, oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Your ministry is in your workplace just as much as my ministry is here. My ministry doesn't stop here in this building. It spins off wherever I go. So does yours. It doesn't stop. We ought to be eager to present the gospel to whomever we can, or to serve them in whatever fashion God's called us to serve. We need that kind of faith today, people. We ought to be eager and ready to share our faith in Christ. Paul told a young preacher, Timothy, back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I want you to preach the word, Timothy. That's your call. Your call is to preach the word. Be ready. I say to you, I don't know what your call, I don't know what your spiritual gift is, but be ready to use it. In season and out of season, be ready. Reprove, reprove people who need it. Rebuke those who need it. Exhort those who need it. And be great, patient. Be patient with them and instruct them. That's our call. That's your call. And so I'm going to push you and push you as well as I'm going to push me. I'm going to push us to be the men and women that God's called us to be wherever we may go. And your ministry is just as vital as, as Billy Graham's. He's, is he he's still alive? Yeah, whoever. Your ministry is vital. God will use you mightily. Be under obligation to him and be eager, eager to do what God's called you to do, whatever that might be. The third I am is found in verse 16 and 17. And Paul says this. I'm not ashamed. 
I'm just not ashamed of what I do. He reveals that he totally believes in what he is sharing. Paul was a brilliant man. When he was confronted with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, our Lord shared with him, and Paul grasped it all and realized that he had been going the wrong direction in his life, and he turned around, did a 180, I guess you'd say, and he started following Christ, and he set his eyes. Remember we preached that, that he forgot what lied behind. Those things were gone. He, he, he looked forward to the call that he had in Christ Jesus, his Lord. He pressed on towards that, forgetting what lied behind, pressing forward what lies ahead. Paul totally believed in what he was preaching. He had complete belief in the gospel, and that is what drove him. He says in verses 16 and 17, it's worthy to read again, listen. He says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, for in the gospel, he says, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous person shall live by faith. Paul was never discouraged by opposition. He was never disheartened by criticism. He was never ashamed of what he was called to do. i got to work on that. I've got to work on that. Never discouraged? Wow. Never disheartened? Man. I work on some things. Probably you do too. You see, the gospel then, just as the gospel today, was foolishness to many people. They just, they thought it was foolishness. You mean you're going to spend eternity in a place called heaven that you've never seen? And so we come across today so-called health and wealth, gospel, seeker-friendly messages of today that sweep through church upon church upon church. And it's not offensive, no, to the seeker message, the, 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 the health and wealth message. It's, it's not offensive. It's not foolishness to the world because it offers to the world exactly what the world wants. Easy believism, self-worth, self-significance. But that message does not represent the true gospel of Jesus Christ, people. You know that. Our self-worth is not in who we are, but in who we are in Christ Jesus. That's our self-worth in Him. He has set us apart. Just like the false teachers in the day of Paul, there are those today that try to preach a a watered-down version of the gospel. Try to make it easy to believe, easy to, to fall into this place or that place within so-called faith. But a, it's an un, ungodly distortion of what the true gospel is. See, Jesus Christ strongly condemned the watering down of the gospel, claiming that that played right into the hands of Satan. And Paul states clearly, to the church in, in Galatia. In, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I am amazed. I am absolutely, utterly amazed, he writes, that you are so quickly deserting him, deserting Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. How can you desert him? 
I'm amazed that you have so quickly fallen away. He says, which is not really another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in and through all that we preach here at this church at least, through all of that confusion out there in this world, the gospel forever remains the only way that God has provided salvation for mankind, period. And you and I are not ashamed of that message. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are obligated to it, we are eager to it, and we are not ashamed of it. And Paul was overjoyed to proclaim the truth and the power of God's Word. And so in this last great I Am, the last of the three, this one in verses 16 and 17 is so much, so powerful that I'm going to divide it up for us in the, in the next couple of weeks. Paul represents and presents to the family of God four powerful keys to express the message of God's gospel. And they are, look at verses 16 and 17 with me again, please. I, no, let me read it out of here. He says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power. One of the key words is the power of God. The second key word is for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the next word is righteousness. The righteous person shall live by the fourth word, faith. And so expressed in the message of, of God's gospel are, are the words power, salvation, faith, and righteousness. Let's take a look at power tonight. God's power. What you and I cling to. What, what holds us together. Why we are what the Bible would call true believers, true followers of Jesus Christ. Paul declares that the gospel is the power of God. That, that word power is dunamis. It's, uh, we get the word dynamite from it. How many of you saw on television the other day on the 4th of July at San Diego? They, they, did you see that? Well, that was a trip, wasn't it? They, they, I mean, that, would be, that is exactly the way I would like to, to experience any firework program. All done in 15 seconds. <laughs> they, somebody goofed. If you didn't know what happened, somebody set off the, the fireworks, and instead of setting off one at a time, set off the whole shooting match. It went up, boom, and the people, some of the people applauded. They've been waiting there all day, and after 15 seconds, the show was over. That was it. It just all went up. It must have been awesome, though, to see it, but it sure went over quickly. We get the word power, dunamis, dynamite. In essence, Paul is saying that the gospel carries with it the um, omnipotent power of God, whose power alone, power alone, his power alone is sufficient to save you and me from our sin and to give us everlasting life. We need, in fact, there is no other way to gain true salvation. Bible makes it clear. You and I cannot be spiritually changed. We cannot be saved by our good works or by the church or, or by rituals or any particular denomination or by any other human means. No. Salvation only comes through the very power of God who calls.
We also cannot be saved by keeping the law of God. In other words, by being good enough. By, by the way, the law was given to show you and me how helpless we are to meet God's standard. That, that was the reason the law was given. To show us that on our own power, on our own self-righteousness, we will never reach God. We have to come to Him His way. We can't come ours. Therefore, the law was not given to save us. It was given to reveal to us our sin. And thus, hopefully, drive us to God's saving grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. Later on in the book of Romans, the fifth chapter, sixth verse, Paul declares our weakness as human beings versus God's power. He says in verse 6 of chapter 5, while we, mankind, us, were helpless, helpless, at the right time, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. And then later in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, he said further, what the law could not do, the law could not make us right before God. It would just reveal to us how, how much we need a Savior. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. That's a familiar scene, I mean theme throughout Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul again writes, The word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Power. Power flowing through yours and my veins. Power of God. Like Paul, I, uh, I'd like to say these words. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, When I came to you, I'd like to say this for myself to you. When I came to you, I did not come with superiority of speech. Nor did I come with wisdom in proclaiming to you the testimony of God. No, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I long that for you. I want you to know and be established in what you believed so that you might be under obligation to serve your Lord. Obligated to live for Him day by day by day. And not only obligated, but eager. Eager to awaken this tomorrow morning to live for Him, whatever fashion that might be. And then finally to be not ashamed of what you stand for and what you believe. Scripture certainly testifies over and over again to God's glorious power. Let me read to you two verses and we'll close. Listen to God's power. In, in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, the 33rd chapter, verses 8 and 9. In verse 8 it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. It says, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Verse 9 says, for He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Read it again, please. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. 
God's power is evident. It ought to be evident within yours and my life. We ought to be a people who are under obligation to what we believe. Be a people who are under obligation to your Lord. It's a good thing. Be a people who are eager to represent Him in whatever, whatever fashion it is that He is going to have you represent Him this evening and, and tomorrow. And lastly, don't be ashamed of what you believe. Be bold. Be courageous. Let the Rock Community Church stand tall as people who are filled with the power, the dunamis power of our Lord and Savior. Father, please bless us. Allow us to sense that that wonderful presence of who you are within our lives that we would, like Paul, just shout out and, and just, just proudly, we're bondservants of our Lord. We're called, set apart as saints. And in so doing, Father, may we be very, very, very obligated to serve you, eager to serve you, not ashamed to serve you wherever you may take us. We ask these things in the very precious and wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.